Have they not heard? Indeed, they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's start this morning with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and and Heavenly Father, Lord, we come into your presence today and we want to delight ourselves in you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word that you have given us. We thank you uh, for all the things that you have done in in our lives to draw us to, to saving faith. And Lord, we thank you for the things that you continue to do in our lives. And so we want to give you praise and and honor and glory. We ask that you would be glorified in your word here this morning and give uh, me the words to say. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel with someone uh, only to watch them uh, reject the word of God. Uh, maybe you shared the gospel with someone and they just kind of casually brushed you off and said, well, yeah, nah, that's not for me. Maybe they became kind of angry with you. Maybe they became uh, somewhat confrontational. You know, Don't give me your religion garbage or whatever uh, it might be. We're in a section of scripture where Paul has just talked about the preaching of the word of God. He has said that that the feet of those who bring the good news are, are beautiful. And he's quoted Isaiah. And he said, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so the expectation should be that when we share the word of God, God will use it to bring people to salvation. God is the one who does the work in the sharing of the gospel, in the preaching of the word. When you talk to someone and you share the scripture and you share uh, the gospel message, God does the work. But what are we to think of when we don't see someone get saved? Again, in this larger section of Scripture, Paul is answering the objection, has the Word of God failed? If you go back to chapter 9, verse 6. He has talked in Romans about the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes in the Lord Jesus Christ. That all of God's plan in the Old Testament was leading up to the revelation of Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes in Him. The Old Testament saints were saved by justification by faith alone. Believing in the coming Messiah is the argument in chapter 4. Just as Christians today are saved. And so then the question comes, if the nation of Israel has this rich heritage coming out of Abraham, coming now to fulfillment in the Messiah. They have the covenants. They have the Word of God. They have all of these promises. Why are so many rejecting the Word of God? And so Paul asks the question, well, is it as if the Word of God has failed? No. And then he goes down through in chapter 9 and he lays out the doctrine of election. That not everyone that was a physical descendant of Abraham was a spiritual child of the promises. And so it's the mystery of God in calling uh, people to salvation out of the lost. 
Then in chapter 10, he begins at the end of chapter 9 into chapter 10, he talks about how the Jewish people as a whole, by and large, were seeking not the things of God, but were seeking to establish their righteousness through the law. And he says, no, we know that righteousness comes through faith. And then he begins in this section of where does faith come from? Is faith something you earn? No, you can't go up into heaven and bring it down. You can't go down into the grave and bring it up. It is something that God brings to you through the word. And so then we have in 1017, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But why are the Jews still rejecting? He's going to go on in chapter 11 and he's going to talk about how there is the people of God and it's like a branch. And, and in the plan and purpose of God, those that have rejected have been cut off from that branch. They are closing themselves off to the, the promises of God, but God is using the Gentiles. So there are all these people who are pagan and they are getting saved. Why don't the people that have the Word of God, Old Testament... Why aren't they getting saved? Paul is telling us it's part of God's plan. And God will use this to make the people, the Jews who should know better from the Word of God, to make them jealous and to bring all types of people in to saving faith. And so this is where we find ourselves. And chapter 10 here is kind of like right smack dab in the middle of this. We're transitioning from one idea to the other. Faith comes through hearing. Well, why is it then that people sometimes reject the gospel? Specifically, his issue is, why is it that Jewish people, Paul himself being a Jew, but why is it that most of his brothers and sisters, according to the flesh, are rejecting the Word of God? You might find some connections in your own life. You might have people that are good friends. You might have people that are your own flesh and blood. And yet their hearts are hardened to the gospel. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't be discouraged. Continue to share the word of God with them. But let's begin uh, this morning with our first point. The word has gone out, but people still reject. So the first issue is, have people heard the gospel? Sometimes people, I think, reject. We think we've given them the gospel and they reject us, but they really haven't heard the gospel. In Paul's case, he's arguing that they have. Verse 18, but I ask, have they not heard? So it's the idea. If faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, uh, why is it that some, well, maybe they didn't hear. Is that why they're not getting saved? He says then, indeed they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. This is a quote from Psalm uh, 19.4. And in Psalm 19.4, it's talking about how the heavens uh, declare the glory of God, Psalm 19.1. And it's saying how the voice of these uh, stellar bodies go out. You see the glory of God by virtue of what He's created. So that everyone should know there is a God. It's what we call general revelation. That when you look up at the stars, when you look up at the sky, you are seeing the power of God. Romans 1.19 For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. But Paul here is making a more specific point. That the word of God in the preaching of the gospel has gone out. So he takes the psalm and he quotes it to serve his purpose. Who is the their voice that has gone out to all the earth? It is the preachers. If you look back in chapter 10, uh, you look back to verse 14. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And now some of you at this point are saying, well, pastor, not everybody in the world has heard the gospel yet. So is Paul using this verse wrong or are you wrong, pastor, about how he's using it? I think that's a valid uh, question. And no, I don't think Paul is wrong. So you should always ask, well, am I wrong? But I think what Paul is doing is saying that in a general sense, the gospel has gone to the known world. He's not certainly saying that there aren't people yet that need to hear Certainly, even in our day, there are people yet that have not heard. There are people down your street that just by virtue of where they live, maybe they've never read the Bible. Maybe they've never heard the Gospel. Maybe they think they know it, but they don't. There are certainly people in places in Africa and South America and Asia that literally a preacher of the Gospel, some communication of the message has never gotten there. And that's why we should be concerned about missions. But in a general sense, as Paul is writing to Rome, the center of the Roman Empire, there is a sense where the gospel has gone to aspects of the known world at that point. And if you think from a theological perspective, there are two categories of people in Scripture. What are they? Jew and Gentile. So what does Paul say at the beginning of Romans chapter 1 in verse 16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in that sense, in that very narrow theological sense, if we could say it that way, by virtue of the gospel going outside to the nations, Paul is saying it is. It has. Preachers have gone to the world. He's not saying they've made it to every particular spot in the world. But in, in, a, in a comprehensive sense, it's all over now. It's all over the Roman Empire. You think about the, the book of Acts and you think about the first preaching of the gospel at Pentecost. And if you, if you track out all the places that those people came from on that day when they heard the first preaching of the gospel in their own language... It was coming from not only all over the Roman Empire, but it was coming from places today that would be uh, eastern Turkey, uh, northern Iraq, uh, places in Iran even, if we were going by today's geography. And so in one sense, aspects of the known world were and had been hearing the gospel. And so Paul's point is, it's not the fault that people haven't heard yet. Particularly his Jewish brothers and sisters, the first thing they do whenever they go to a city, Paul in his ministries in Acts, they go right into a synagogue. Uh, Many of the people that were saved on the day of Pentecost had traveled because they were either Jews from synagogues around the world or they were God-fearers, which means they were Greeks and proselytes who 
worshipped in synagogues. And so when they left, they took the gospel back. And so Paul is saying that the excuse is not that they haven't heard, at least yet. He's saying that they haven't heard. Acts 28.28 says, Therefore, let it be known that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And again, I think this is that concept of it's going to the ends of the earth. It continues, right? But Paul is saying people have heard the word of God. And so Paul then turns to Moses and he says in verse 19, But I ask, did Israel not understand? And the answer there is, I think, an implied yes. Yes, Israel didn't understand. He says, first, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with a foolish nation. I will make you angry. So again, the question is, why? Why are all these Gentiles believing and not Jews? Sometimes you see that in our day and age, not by the ethnic divisions, But you think of someone that grows up in the church and then they get into their teen years or they get into their college years as as our brother reminded us and they begin to walk away from the faith or they never make a profession of faith. And then there's this person that comes in, in some senses, off the street. They have never been to a church. They have never been around Christianity. They did not grow up in a Christian home. And why is it that sometimes... Those are the people that get saved. Where's the people we would expect to believe the gospel? Because they grew up around it, are the ones who reject. It's not the fault of the ministry of the Word of God. And let me just say this as an aside it's not always something that you can look at in the lives of the parents, and maybe sometimes as parents we blame ourselves. Be careful with that. If there's things you need to confess of, certainly do so. But sometimes we lay all of the stress on us. Well, if I would have done this better, maybe they would be saved. Not realizing that everyone comes into this world with a hardened heart. And it's the Spirit of God that breaks open those hearts. And so, getting again back to the quote from Deuteronomy 32.21, Paul says, quoting this verse, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Deuteronomy 32 is sometimes called the Song of Moses. Uh, It's a section of Deuteronomy. At the end of Deuteronomy, he's reflecting on on how often the Israelites were stubborn-hearted. He's looking. He's being a prophet here. He's looking to the future and saying, these are some of the things that God is going to do. This is how God is going to be patient with you. This is how you're going to continue to reject. And you can see this kind of working its way out in the history of the Old Testament. Why is it that Israel goes through these cycles? She repents. She's doing well. And then all of a sudden, the next generation comes along and she turns away from her God. And so you have Hosea the prophet, and he prophesies about how Israel has been uh, like a prostitute, cheating on her husband, cheating on God who she's in a covenant with. And so Israel is turning to foreign idols and nations. You see it in Ezekiel, uh, vivid imagery of sexual immorality being a type of idolatry or, or an example or pointing to what idolatry looks like. In other words, he's saying cheating on God is like cheating on your spouse. And why do we have this ongoing struggle in the life of Israel? 
Moses himself had said, man, Israel's stubborn. She needed a heart that was turned to God. And so what does God promise He's going to do here in this Deuteronomy passage? Since Israel is turning away from God, going after the gods of other nations, God says, in effect, I will show Myself to another nation. I will show Myself to another people. You see it in Hosea as well, which Paul has earlier uh, quoted in chapter 9, verse 25. Those who are not My people, I will call My people. And here... Uh, And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. That's the Gentiles coming in. And so Deuteronomy 32, 21, the whole quote says this, and they have made me jealous with what is no God. This is God speaking. They've provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. God had promised that He would bring in the Gentiles. And part of this, as as you go through chapter 11, is it's not because God has abandoned Israel. It's because of His purposes for Israel. To turn them back, to make them jealous. And so you think of how Paul, and there were people in Paul's days that that were getting saved that were Jewish. So, what do you and I take from this? First, I admit it is a little hard to take things from this at first glance. Why? Because we're talking about the scope of God's plan. And let me just put in my plug for reading through the Bible in a year. These things become more familiar to you, the Old Testament storyline, as you read the Bible. That was my side plug. Let me say this, though. We are to be faithfully evangelizing even if people do not respond. I think we can even ask ourselves the question, but I ask, have they not heard? And so it's good sometimes when you see someone rejecting the Gospel or not responding to the Gospel to ask yourself, have they actually heard the Gospel? What do I mean by that? What is the Gospel? Paul tells us that he gives us the things which were of first importance. That Christ died for us. That He was buried. That He rose again on the third day. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 1-4. That is the Gospel. And sometimes, in our enthusiasm, we talk about how Jesus changed our life. We talk about what Jesus means to us. We invite someone to church. We say, won't, won't you love this Jesus? And we mean well and we're doing everything good. And then you have to stop and think, but did I share the Gospel? You see, the Gospel is not about the change. The, the Gospel message isn't what God has done in me. The Gospel message is what God has done in Jesus. Now, I do tell people, well, this is the effect that it has in me. The Gospel is the power of God. But when you are sharing the Gospel, sure, you tell them, man, Jesus has done amazing things for me. But don't leave out the Gospel. Think of it this way. My wife makes great chocolate chip cookies. And if I want to share with you the chocolate chip cookie recipe, I'm going to be excited about it. Her cookies are great. They're amazing. They will change your life. They will change your belly. It will get bigger. 
And that's tons of good excitement if I'm going to proselytize with my wife's cookie recipe. But I haven't told you the recipe. I haven't told you what makes these cookies so great. I, I don't know what she puts in them, but I know they're great. So, But it, with the Gospel, you do tell people what's great about it. But you tell them what it is. That Jesus Christ died and that He rose again. This is the core of the message. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is reigning and ruling. And He calls you to believe that He is Lord and Christ and believe and repent. And that's an exciting message. But I think it is appropriate to ask, have people heard? And I think sometimes we assume that someone knows the Gospel and they're rejecting. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. Second, I think you can draw an inference here, a a point of connection. When you think about what makes the believer different from the unbeliever. Notice what Paul says, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This takes my mind to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where Paul talks about not many of you were wise, not many of you were scholars, not many of you were the debaters of this age, but God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. We didn't believe in Christ because we were smarter. We didn't believe in the Lord Jesus because we were better. And finally, one day, it all just clicked for us and we put it all together. God chooses the foolish. Yeah, you and me. To believe in Him. Don't think you're better than people who are rejecting the Gospel. You would be in the same boat as they were. Perhaps some of you can think back to a time in your life when you were in the same boat as they were. And this is the mystery of the Gospel. That is the power of God that it opens hearts according to the plan and purposes of God. And this is what Paul has been unfolding through chapters 9, 10, and 11. And then finally, I would say this, with this verse, Psalm 19.4, we should be concerned with the Gospel going to the ends of the earth. John Piper has said in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, the book is titled, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, missions exists because worship does not. There will be an end one day till missions. Everybody will hear. The Lord will return. There will not be an end to worship. And the whole purpose of missions is to bring people to see the glory of God in the face of Christ and bow the knee and confess to Him. And so we should delight in taking part of the Gospel going to the ends of the earth. Whether that's going overseas whether that's praying for missionaries that are overseas or whether that's going onto the college campus or crossing the street to your neighbors. That is part and parcel of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Second, this morning, the word has gone out and God surprises us with who believes. And I think we need to, we need to think here for a moment like some, put your, put your imagination caps on today and think about what it would be like to be in the first century, to be in these synagogues, to be some of the early hearers of the gospel. And again, how surprising would it be that the pagans are coming to saving faith? Not the good synagogue Jewish person. 
You think about how rebellious and wild Corinth was, the city of Corinth. It was like the Las Vegas of its day. I mean, you could go down into, uh, you, not only did you have all the ten, uh, temples for the idols where you could buy your meat in, in the, that had been sacrificed to them, you also could engage in temple prostitution. And I don't want to go into the details, but, but when we say pagan, it was pagan. It was much like some areas of our culture today. And we think, oh, look at the heritage that we lost. I'm, I'm, think about it for this for a second. If the gospel could penetrate the Roman Empire, don't you think it can penetrate all the corners of America? And the surprise was the Gentiles, the pagans in Jesus' day, the tax collectors, the prostitutes were getting saved. And the good Sabbath Sunday, I always say Sunday school, but it would have been, I guess, Sabbath school. The, the good churchgoers, if I can put it that way, were rejecting who Jesus was. That should make all of us pause and think for a minute. Why do I go to church? Is it to hear the Word of God? Is it to glorify God? Is it to follow God's plan? To come to an understanding of His purposes? Is it to worship Him? Or is it to impress people? Is it to look moral? Is it to act like I have my life together? So God is bringing the Gentiles to saving faith. Look at verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. The Gentiles were going along in their pagan culture Totally fine worshiping idols. It's a picture of all of us as sinners. We are dead in our sins. We enjoy walking in, in the delights of sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And here you have these Jewish people who are trying extremely hard to follow the law. And Paul says they weren't pursuing the right kind of righteousness through faith. They were pursuing the wrong kind, thinking they could do it through the law. Again, earlier in chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But the Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Here again, you think of some of the promises of the Old Testament. The servant in Isaiah is promised to be a light to nation. That's a prophecy of Jesus. He will be a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. We looked a couple weeks ago at Psalm 42 during the Christmas season. I will give you as a covenant to the people and a light for the nations. And so what do we see? That in a sense, as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, no one seeks God. And what does God do? He makes Himself known. He reveals Himself. And so, who is He revealing Himself to? He's revealing Himself to those whom He wishes according to His plans and purposes. And it's the Gentiles. And this is a shock. Didn't Israel have the Word of God? Do you see why he's driving at this? Did God's Word fail? Paul says, no, this is the plan of God all along. And God's purposes are often a mystery 
to us. He gives us prophecies. He gives us clues. He gives us predictions. But think about how many things in your life where God's purposes have been a mystery. Why did God do this and not that? And this is God in his sovereignty. And he's making himself known to people who are Gentiles, to people who are pagans, to people who are living in vile sin and filth so that over time, Jews might come and actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The Lord Jesus brings light to those who are blind. And so Paul has said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ, whose image who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We could go to John 6, 44 and 45. No one can come to me, this is Jesus, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes from me. And what is Paul saying here? God had promised, I will show myself. To who? To these Gentiles. So they were getting saved. They were being drawn in. They were being called by God. He was removing the darkness from their hearts and they were seeing Christ and they were believing. They had been taught by God now so that they know Him and they believe and they repent. This is the plan and purpose of God. Notice then how He continues. He's quoting Isaiah 65. He continues to quote verse 2 of Isaiah 65 in, in chapter 10, verse 21. But of Israel, He says... All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So while God was patient with Israel, He continued bringing them calls to repent. good example of this is the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21 of the servants that He puts in charge of a vineyard, the tenants. And the vineyard owner sends his servants, the prophets, the bringers of the Word of God. And the tenants in the vineyard beat and kill these people. It's an imagery of how they beat and killed the prophets and rejected the Word of God. And then the owner says, I will send my son. Surely they'll listen to him. And they kill him. It's a picture of what would happen to Christ. And Jesus says this, Have you never heard the Scriptures? The stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. That's the leaders of Jerusalem. And it will be given to a people who produce fruit. It is not as if the plan of God has failed. It is not as if God stopped his plan with Israel and said, okay, I'm putting this on pause for a while because they've rejected. Now we'll have a bunch of Gentiles get saved and then in the future we'll do 
an unpause, kind of like a reset. It is that the plan and purposes of God continue. And God's plan has always been to call a people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. When you get to heaven and you see this in Revelation 5, there are people from everywhere, every ethnic group. And in the unfolding of this plan, God has used Israel. But the Scriptures continue to demonstrate the hardness of Israel's heart, that she is no different from any one of us. Just as the Gentiles and the deadness of their sin is no different from any one of us. And we need God to open our eyes. And in the plan and purpose of God, the Gospel goes forth to all the nations and God will use it. There are Jewish people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And there is, I think, a future for Israel where people will come uh, and be saved. And we'll get into this in chapter 11. But we live in that marvelous time where the gospel is going to the nations. But I want you to consider this this morning. Consider the patience of God. That even those who reject Him, even with those who reject Him, He is slow to anger and slow to bring His wrath. Again, look at how this ends in the end of chapter 10. All day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God continues in people's lives to bring the Gospel to them, to bring people who can share the Gospel to them, even as they continue to reject. And let me say this as a word of encouragement. Don't just share the Gospel with someone one time and and Throw up your arms if they don't believe and be like, ah, that's it, forget it, it's not going to work, they're never going to come to saving faith. You don't know the plans and purposes of God. And you don't know how long His patience is with them. And you don't know how many times He's going to plead with them through someone like you sharing the Gospel. You don't know what seeds you're planting either. And maybe you share today and someone else shares tomorrow and somebody else shares ten years from now. You don't know the purposes of God. All you and I know is that we should be faithful in the ministry of evangelism. All day long, God says, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let me make two reflections for you this morning. First, as a Christian, is there some area in your life where you're resisting God? where you're being disobedient, where you're being stubborn. You know Christ is your Savior, but He's telling you to do something. He's instructing you in some way through His Word. You know something in your life is a sin, and you continue to do it. Don't make a mockery of the patience and kindness of God. He's being kind and slow to anger with you. But take this opportunity to turn and repent. And then maybe there are some of you here. And maybe you even grew up in the church. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you belong to Him? Do not take it for granted that just because you heard the Word of God or just because your Sunday school teacher said, well, yeah, you're saved, Johnny. Don't worry about it. Do you know If you were to die today, where you would go? Do you have a confidence in the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's the thing. 
People gathered in the synagogues time after time, week after week, and they heard the Word of God, and their hearts were still darkened and hard. Don't let that be you this morning. The Scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 13, 15, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? This is a great way to transition into communion this morning. And I'm going to ask the guys uh, to come on up this morning. Test yourself this morning. Ask yourself this. Am I in the Lord? Do I know the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are not confident or you can say today, no, I don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to place your faith and trust in Him. Just pray. Say, I believe that I'm a sinner. I'm seeing this sin and this stubbornness and this hardness of heart in me, Lord. Forgive me of that. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that He rose again from the dead, that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And I confess that He is Savior and Lord. Paul also warns us that before we take communion, he says, let a person examine himself then and so eat. Well, let me back up and read the verse before it. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person then examine himself and so eat and drink of of the cup. Eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As we are passing out these elements, now's the time to be in prayer. Now's the time to examine your heart. Where has God been patient and slow to anger with you? Where do you and I have something in our lives that we need to repent of? And just as one last warning, Only take of these elements today if you know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If you don't know that, if you've never believed that, and you don't want to believe that right now, there's no shame in letting these elements pass by. But these are a testimony. When you take these, they are a testimony that you believe in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, as we prepare uh, to take communion, we ask that you would work in our hearts. We ask that you would work uh, in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.